Hey, welcome to the Walking Nexus podcast, where we explore human connection with people in Saskatchewan. For our season five finale, we're chatting with Eric Dillon about his progressive leadership style and what he's feeling as he closes the chapter of being Connexus's CEO. Let's get into it. All right, it's the sixth and final episode of season five of the What Connexus podcast, and we've got a good one for you today to close things out. I don't know if we've had a season yet where the stories we featured were so incredibly diverse. We've heard from people with origins ranging from north of Dudney here in Regina to the poplar trees of Sweetgrass First Nation. We've heard and learned from stories about overcoming organ failure, embracing body positivity, battling substance addiction, taking on risk as a female founder, and just last episode, we learned about escaping domestic abuse. Such a range of topics, but passion and resilience were consistent throughout. And of course, the question we aim to answer in each episode was answered so beautifully in every episode as we investigated what connects us. When I hear what connects us, I think of the word community. Sharing our stories. Shared experiences. How all of our stories like intertwine in some way. And it's like this little tapestry that they're all woven together, all our experiences and all our stories. So before we take a victory lap on season five and introduce our last guest, I just want to thank Brandy, Alex, Mark, Jessica, and Kendra for leaning into vulnerability and sharing their stories. There are so many aha moments that I've taken from this past season, and I know a lot of others have felt the same. It would not be possible without them sharing their deeply personal experiences and sharing their struggles and their triumphs that they've experienced along the way. Today's guest is a fitting end to close out the season as he is currently closing a monumental chapter of his own. On February 15th of this year, I, along with the rest of Connexus employees, received an email that sparked a lot of emotion. It was from our CEO, Eric Dillon, who was announcing that he had made the difficult decision to step away from his role at Conexus and Thrive. Eric is beloved inside of Conexus's walls and even in the province as well. And he's just such an authentic ambassador for Conexus. So the news shocked a lot of people and it raised a lot of questions like, is Eric retiring? Why now? Is he leaving Saskatchewan? Where is he going? And is it because I continually beat him in ping pong? All right, maybe that last one is something that I just thought about. But Eric's here to set the record straight and tell us all about how he came to the difficult decision to depart, how hard it was to deliver that news that he was leaving, and he reflects on some of the highs and lows of his tenure run as Connexus's chief executive officer. We'll also hear a little bit about Eric's origin story and what has shaped his authentic and progressive leadership style that he is known for. So let's get into it. What connects us to Eric? Let's find out. Eric Dillon, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Base G. Fun to be here. So did you find the building okay? Yeah, like, yeah. barely. I needed a map. It's been a couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah, totally. Did they take away your access? Are you allowed to be here still? Well, kind of not. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. I don't have any access. Oh, interesting. I know. Yeah. I think there's a public washroom. <laughs> no kidding. Um, so this is going to be a really great interview. This is something that I think a lot of people are interested in is uh, like when I got the news that, that you were leaving and then that went publicly, I had a lot of people message me and say, oh, Eric's retiring. That's so early. I'm like, oh, he's not retiring. But people just have you so connected to this place that... I think people are so interested to find out what's going on here, as well as hear your story in terms of where'd you come from? How do you approach this progressive leadership as well as what have you learned along the way? So this is going to be a really interesting interview. So let's just jump in with a quick introduction. Tell me, who is Eric Dillon? Give me some background on who you are so we can better understand your story. Well, yeah, probably like a lot of listeners, I'm just a 
dude who uh, ended up working in Regina. My family's originally from Crake. Right. And then uh, my dad joined the Air Force, so I grew up all over the place as a kid, like Montreal, which was fun when the Olympics were there way back when. Oh, really? And then the other coast, so grew up on Vancouver Island for a bit. Mm-hmm. And then went to school in Edmonton and just ended up working in Alberta before coming uh to, uh, to Saskatchewan coming, you know, almost full circle back to Saskatchewan in, in 2011. Yeah. So probably a pretty, you know, standard upbringing for yeah. a kid, older brother, yeah. mom, dad, you know. Standard upbringing where you're traveling from coast to coast around Canada. What was that like? Well, it's, you know, for me, it was just normal. I mean, every, all the kids that I knew were kids that, you know, had the same job as my dad. So yeah. It was like if they stayed for an extra year, it was like a gift because, you know, eventually people were going to go move somewhere else, right? It's just totally. the way it worked. And so it's funny moving now. I've had a bunch of people say, well, geez, Eric, how are your kids? And I'm like, well, I think they'll be fine. I moved lots as a kid. <laughs> yeah, and totally. I moved when I was in high school. And yeah, yeah it's all good. Yeah, it almost teaches you like a level of adaptability right off the bat, which is cool. So give me a glimpse of what Eric was like, like as a kid um, and how that kind of leads into your story. <laughs> It's probably about like you'd imagine. Yeah. High energy, shit disturber, <laughs> lots of trouble with my folks. Right. Like pushing the boundaries all the time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. About what you'd probably expect. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, so moving into like your first job, which I think this is a really cool story about how this played into your career path. Tell me about being a financial advisor at a credit union in Lloydminster and how that shaped your next 25 years in the financial industry. Well, the, it's probably the most fun I've ever had at work. Right. And and it was really, you know, I would talk to financial advisors here, of course, lots of years later when I wasn't an advisor anymore. But just that special relationship you had with members. And, like, there's still three members that I helped back in the early 90s that I still stay in touch with. So cool. Yeah, people I helped with their very first home. There was a guy who I bought, uh, I helped finance his very first kind of like tractor yep. for his commercial business. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I still talk to these people and find out what's going on in their lives. And of course, their kids are all grown up now. And it's just a wild ride to think that you could influence somebody's life story through enabling things with money. And, uh, and that probably was, you know, how I got this kind of interest in what's this, thing what's this connection that people have emotional connection with money right and how can it enable the life they want to live totally yeah so how why was this your first job lots of people their first jobs will be like a clerical assistant or you'll have a maintenance worker or something like that why was a financial advisor the role that that was the first one for you well real quick funny story so i started in university as a chemistry major okay and then i met a girl okay and she was in economics. Sure. And I wanted to hang out with her. So I took an economics elective. Really? And the course was money and banking. Cool. And I got the top grade in the class. And I'm like, well, this is kind of interesting stuff. Yeah. So ended up with a economics education, but not the girl. Right. So just to be really clear. Yeah. Sure. And, and from then on, it just became something that I was always interested about, like how the world worked and how money influenced, you know, how things happened in the world. Right. So back up even further. Yeah. You can't just drop that you were a chemistry major and just kind of smooth over it. What what brought you to science and, and what, what kind of piqued your interest there? Probably like lots of kids in high school, I wasn't super creative. I didn't like the artsy courses in high school. Okay. But I loved all the sciences, physics, biology, chemistry. And I'm like, well, which of those can you make a career out of? Sure. And like when I, uh, yeah, 
just ended up chemistry was the one that I thought, well, that's probably the most promising in terms of a career. Yeah. And then I took a course called Organic Chem, which is like a second year U of A class. Yeah, that's like the the dreaded class, right? The dreaded class. Yeah. And I, and I like squeaked by and yeah. I was like, I need to find something else. Totally. And it was about the same time that I met this uh, girl in university and I was right. like, what are you taking? <laughs> <laughs> So yeah. you're having trouble with balancing the protons, the neutrons, all that sort of stuff. You're like, let's try something else. You know those little models that you have to buy for organic chem because you have to assemble <laughs> molecules with right. it? And yeah. I was like, this is dumb. Like, <laughs> yeah. Nobody gives a, you know, what about this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And then I was like, well, money. Well, here's how supply and demand works. And here's how prices get established. And here's what inflation is. And I'm like, well, these are real world things. Right. This is infinitely cooler than what I was doing. Totally. So I ended up, yeah, with a math and economics uh, undergrad yeah. uh, program. And here I am. That's awesome. So just to clarify, you take this class. You love it. Then you're like, okay, what's the next kind of step where I can kind of utilize this or, or kind of look into different things like this? You're like financial advisor here at Lloyd Minster. Should, I'm going to jump at that. Is that what happened? Yeah, well, totally. Well, economics is all about, so here's how money and the world work. Well, if you want to get down to the individual level about how money and families work, it's a financial advisor. Right. Yeah. And so never been to Lloyd Minster before. So packed up my stuff after university and away I went. So- what does next steps look like for you? Or how did that, how did we work our way up to CEO at a credit union? It's funny. You know, I talk lots today about leading and how to grow, you know, your own kind of capacity to lead. Well, I didn't follow any of the stuff I talk about today. Okay. I was probably the prototypical, hey, I was good at it. Like I found that I could build relationships with people and I could really help them with money. Awesome. Because um, I could just connect with people. And, you know, I know we're going to chat more about that later, but and so I was really good at it. Well, back in the day, if you're really good as a contributor, as a financial advisor, and they needed a manager for the financial advisors, it was like, well, who's the, who's the best contributor? Right. And so they're like, well, do you want to do this? And then my career started to go really fast in terms of leading people. The irony was, I talk about that when I talk about leadership today, you know, 30 years later, about how dangerous that is. Right. Because I didn't have any of the training around leading people. So my first two leadership jobs, I hated. Mm -hmm. I sucked at it. I was awful. I'm sure the team that I worked with wasn't that happy either because yeah. I wasn't that great of a leader. Yeah. And I remember phoning my dad saying, this sucks. I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. And he's like, well, of course you don't. You've never been trained to do it. And you have to think differently. You can't just like lead people the way you led yourself. So what did you suck at? All of it. Yeah. Communicating, motivating. I just thought, well, if I was good at it, and I had a team of five people. Well, I just need, they just need to do stuff the way I used to do stuff. Right. Yeah. And then they'll be really good at it. Yeah. That's the dumbest advice ever. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. So what were you like in high school in terms of leadership wise? Like, are you naturally drawn to leadership positions or is, was this something that was out of your comfort zone to, to jump at a leadership position? Uh, I, don't, I don't know if I can answer it directly. I was good at like relationships. You know, because, you know, on the sports team, yeah, I was like one of the assistant captains on my high school basketball team, same as my college basketball team. But but I wouldn't say I translated that into leading. Right. I, I, I think I was just really observant about other people, mm -hmm. you know, how to engage with them, how to connect with them. And, you know, I think moving lots as a kid about how to appreciate the subtle differences between them and me or other people on the team, right? Yeah. And be really mindful about those things. Yeah. Uh, so I don't think it was kind of academic. It was just, I don't know, something I just had this kind of weird skill for. Awesome. Very cool. What's cool too, if you're moving across like coasts in Canada, you are not just 
adapting to different types of people, but different cultures. And we all know Canada is very diverse. So you're seeing so many different cultures of and groups of people. So you, you learn how to build relationships with all sorts of different people. So what came next with your leadership journey? You, you, you were starting it out. It wasn't really working for you. What made you stick with it? Well, so then after that kind of foundational conversation with the old boy, um, then I started to get really interested in well, how does this actually work? Mm-hmm. And didn't go back to school, took any training. I just started obsessively reading about it. Okay. And, uh, and just became really interested in this topic of what makes great leaders, like what enables them to be successful or disproportionately successful than kind of the general population. And I just started to like read and read and read and read and read and then practice things. Yeah. And, and I didn't ever take myself so seriously that it wasn't like, well, the way I was doing it was dumb. Mm-hmm. And I've just read a book and here's maybe something else I should try. And then when you try something, you have a bit of success and then you, oh, well, that's great. Now right. I'm going to try something else. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm 30 years into this business now. And just, just imagine having done that for 30 years, learning, trying, adapting, learning, trying, adapting. And, you know, I've always said, um, you've probably heard this, Mason, working at Conexus, my biggest fear leading Conexus was not being able to evolve myself at the speed that the organization needed me to. Right. Uh, so th- I, have, I feel the same pressure today to continue learning, growing, whether I'm, you know, the CEO at Conexus like I used to be, or I'm going to be the president at General Bank like I'm going to be. Right. I had a, I had a mentor that, um, very famous, and it stick it stuck in my mind for like 15 years. He called it humbition. Okay. So you were humble enough to actually look in the mirror and realize that there's things you could do differently or better. And you had the ambition to go actually, and the curiosity to go and learn and grow and try. Mm-hmm. But it's this kind of really important mix of, reading and growing and then the humility to know that look you have lots of room to be better awesome say it one more time ambition ambition so what were some other sticky moments for you as you were working your way where you're like that's an aha moment for me as as you're working your way up through leadership where that kind of stuck with you throughout throughout your journey well i I know lots of people um know me or of me in saskatchewan because of mentoring i speak a lot about mentoring well, again, I kind of fell into this idea of mentoring in, I was a very young guy in finance and I was starting to lead people. And I'd been through this kind of moment, my kind of holy shit moment about leading people. Yep. And I started to actually learn how to do it better and start having success. Well, the CEO of one of the very largest cranes in the country one day kind of seeks me out at a conference and sits down next to me and he's like, I want to get to know you. Yeah. And I'm like, why? Yeah. Because <laughs> like, you're really good at what you do and I don't know shit. Yeah. So, um, he's like, I heard you were the assistant captain of your college basketball yeah. team. Yeah. I don't know what he heard, but, <laughs> yeah. uh, and then he ended up being one of my very first mentors mm-hmm. and, uh, and he taught me a lot of things, but one promise I had to make to him at the time was he said, Eric, I, I'll invest in you and I'm really excited to work with you, but here's the promise you're going to make mm. when you're leading people, you too will prioritize building other leaders. Cool. Is that a fair ask? And he, and, he, and he was fine either way. If I said no, he would have said, well, that's fine. I'll move on to something else. Or, mm-hmm. um, and then, um, but, I, but I took that promise really seriously. Mm-hmm. And, and I report to him twice a year. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, so like people will joke because I keep count of mentoring relationships. Yeah. So I'm like, hey, I'm on 108 yeah. and you need to know. Yeah. And so now when I mentor people, first thing I say is, hey, like I'm really excited to work with you. 
here's my ask. Very cool. And and if you you know, if you think about the impact he had by asking me that question, because mm-hmm. now there's 108 people out, and I hope they're asking the very same question themselves. Yeah. And it and you know I think it really emphasized the fact that the primary job of leaders is building more leaders. Totally. That's job number one. Job number two is then, you know, building strategy for your business and all those kinds of things. But yeah. job number one, build more leaders. Yeah, awesome. It's like almost when you throw a stone into a pond, like the ripple effect of inspiring others to be the be- their best selves. Tell me a little bit about how you went from like a manager of financial services or a manager of, of these financial advisors into working your way up to like almost a snapshot of right before you got the job at Connexus. Okay, so it was really fast. I mean, I was a financial advisor for a few years, so my kind of early to Mm mid-20s. And then from, say, age 25 to age 40, it it happened really fast. I went one branch, three branch, eight branches, 25 branches, 108 branches. Sure. Yeah, so went from leading five people to leading 1,500 people in the span of about 12 or 13 years. Awesome. Yeah. And which which credit union system is the service <coughs> in Edmonton is where I was immediately proceeding coming to Connexus. Gotcha. Yeah, so it was um and it was important for me because I think people think well you can when you lead people in a in a single office leading five people it's really easy to observe. Mm-hmm. You watch them every day. You work like literally right next to them. Right. So it's easy to see things happen. It's easy to coach. It's easy to get connected with people. Mm-hmm. And I think people then naturally think, and we have lots of leaders at Connexus who I've had this conversation with, they naturally think, well, then I can go lead at scale. Mm-hmm. Well, it's pretty hard to directly observe 1,600 people. Right. It's pretty hard to communicate with 1,600. You can't just have a coffee over the water cooler. Totally. And talk about the organization. So yeah. you have to think about how to lead through systems and processes versus kind of like leading by sitting next to people. Yeah. It's a very, very different skill. The good news is I'd had this aha moment earlier in my career and I started to read about like what separates leading at scale. What are the things you have to think differently about? Mm-hmm. Like communicating. It sounds super simple, but standing in a branch having a chat, you know, a morning huddle with five people is very different than inspiring 1600 to try something really hard or different. Totally. You have to learn how to do that. Yeah. And this was before like video chat like functionality, like you weren't able just to hop on a call with somebody just to see how they're doing and to check in with them. Like you'd have to be creative in order to connect with them in different ways. How did you do this? Yeah. Well, I mean, again, when I worked at service, 108 branches, you actually had to go to them. Yeah. And it's funny because um, even to this day, when I first started Connexus, my first job was I actually went to every one of the branches. Yeah. And I spent half the day talking to the team. Mm-hmm. I spent the other half of the day in front of the counter. Mm-hmm. And, and again, imagine like a member would walk in and there's some funny looking short, fat, bald guy from Regina standing there right. and he's like, what do you want? Yeah. And I'm like, I'm, I'm Eric and I'm new here and I'm just <laughs> curious, why, why do you do business with us? Why do you love Connexus? What does it mean to you? Yeah. What's important to you? And equally, what could we do better or differently to serve you better? Yeah. Well, and it was like doing my own primary research mm-hmm. on the organization. So you do such a great job of showing up for people. And this is clearly, we're hearing the origin story about where this kind of came from. So whether that's showing up at branches or showing up for people that you mentor, what goes into authentically showing up for people? I've had lots of mentors. And that first mentor, who's a CEO of a very large crayon, Mm -hmm. it would have been really easy for me to go, I want to be more like Dave Mm -hmm. or Sean, two of my early mentors. But, But what I realized was, I was only going to be the best version of Eric, the leader. Mm-hmm. So I, I might want to be more innovative 
like Dave or like Steve Jobs or like Elon Musk, mm -hmm. but, I, but I'm not going to be like Elon Musk. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yep. So I think it became, and it's connected to this ambition idea. I, like I am who I am. Mm -hmm. And, and the, the best thing I can do is be the best version of myself. When I've had a bad day, the question I ask myself is, what would the leader I want to be have done today? Awesome. And I go, yeah, you know, I totally screwed that up. And here's what I ought to have done. And it might mean I have to go apologize to somebody or I have to make a change and go, yeah, what I thought yesterday was the right idea. It was really bad. And here's what I thought about when I thought more about it. Mm -hmm. And you're going to have to accept the fact that I think we need to change our mind here. Awesome. Um, but it came with this, look, I, I'm just like this dude who grew up all over the country, started in chemistry for God's sake. So I'm even not that smart of a finance <laughs> yeah. person. So right. I'm just going to have to like, the only thing I can rely on is being me. Right. Yeah, showing up with your authentic self, not necessarily trying to be a car, like a carbon copy of Steve Jobs or or Jeff Bezos or anything like that. But how does Eric authentically show up and be able to inspire leaders across anybody you touch? That's just it. And I don't know. I can't remember who said this, but like, you need to be yourself. Everybody else is taken. Yeah, it's so true. To so true. Yeah. Give me an example when you had to lean into this ambition and it was uncomfortable. Yeah, I'll give you my very first meeting at Connexus. Okay. Like literally day two. Right. So day one, um, I, I got here on a Saturday, kind of walk into the office, and I'm sitting in the office on a Sunday. My family hadn't moved yet. Okay. And I'm sitting in, you know, this big, as you'd imagine, CEO office. We don't have offices anymore. Right. But at the time, and mm -hmm. I was like, wow. And, it, and again, it would have been really easy to just drink my own Kool-Aid. Mm -hmm. Look at this, 42 years old, CEO of a pretty big Saskatchewan company. Look at me go. Yeah. And I remember like shitting my pants. Mm -hmm. And I literally had to get up, go to the bathroom, splash water on my face on a Sunday. Yeah. And I'm glad I went on a Sunday. So nobody had to see that on a Monday. Yeah. Right. But I had to go in there and go, uh, like, wow, I don't know what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. So then my first meeting on Monday, I walk in and there's a bunch of new leaders who I've never worked with before, six of them in a room. Mm -hmm. And I walked in and I said, well, I'm, I'm the new CEO <laughs> and there's a whole bunch of stuff that I haven't done before. Mm -hmm. And I need to be really honest about that. I've never led a marketing department, never led an HR department, never led a finance department. Uh, you know, I've led branches. Mm -hmm. I think I know what to do there. I've led commercial banking. I think I know what to do there. I've led wealth, but everything else I've never done before. Right. So I'm good at leading people. I'm good at strategy and I'm good at innovation. Yeah. We're going to need more than that. Mm -hmm. Okay, so who's good at stuff? Yeah. And what are you good at? And we literally went around the room and uh, and everybody was like, well, here's what I do. Mm -hmm. And here's my like unique gift of the world. And here's the things I know less about. Mm -hmm. So that's the first meeting. And you can imagine, probably didn't inspire confidence in a new team because they're like, oh my God, this guy got the job. He's good at two of the nine things he's going to have to do. Yeah. But fast forward two days later. The CFO walks in my office and he asked me to sign a derivative transaction. So for the non-finance people, it's where you like swap the rates on interest interest rates. Okay. Swap the risk on interest rates. Sure. And it was for like $300 million. Okay. That's a lot of dough. Yeah. Okay. Now I could have pretended to know everything about everything mm -hmm. in that first meeting. And he would have walked in and said, I need you to sign this because that's what the board policy says. Mm -hmm. But what happened was he came in and he said, you've probably never done this before. Here's why we do this. Here's the risk. And if I were you, here's the kinds of questions I would have for me asking you to authorize this. Awesome. Can you see the difference though? Yeah. Oh yeah, totally. By being vulnerable, you're allowing others to support you rather than 
making assumptions that you know this already. Totally. He's yeah. coaching me in real time and making me a better CEO. Yeah. So I go, oh my God, super helpful, Ken, because I would have been like deer in the headlights. Mm-hmm. Thanks for taking the extra 10, 15 minutes to just walk me through what do I need to know about this. Yep. But I think the natural human reaction for people is to walk in and go, I'm not going to show any of them that I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. Because maybe there's three of them that applied for the job and they're going to be like, I roll. Are you kidding me? This is the best we could do. Totally. Yeah. And then people don't try to protect you. They don't invest in you. Mm -hmm. And all they're doing is just going through the motions, right? Yeah. It's a beautiful thing when, when people lower their shields a little bit and they actually show what they're actually feeling because then you can support each other in authentic ways, regardless of what their roles are. So that's a great example. So tell me a little bit about that imposter syndrome in that first couple of first year or so about your splashing water in your face. Like, what am I doing here? 42 years old. How did you combat this? Again, I had people to call. Mm-hmm. So when I had my holy shit moments, pardon my language listeners. Yeah. Um, I had people I could call mm-hmm. and say, I'm having like a mild little panic attack about this, you know, changing team members mm-hmm. or big strategy decisions. I mean, people might not recall, but when I joined Connexus, we were halfway into a very large technology project. We had probably, I don't know, 100 people working on it in an 800-person company, and we were $30 million into this technology project. Mm -hmm. And I was going to the board with the decision that we should stop the technology project and write off $30 million. It was the first kind of big decision I made at Connexus. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, my God. I don't don't know if the board's going to believe me. Mm -hmm. B, you know, what if I'm wrong? You know, and I started thinking about all of those things. And and C, one of the things I just admitted to a whole bunch of people I don't know much about is technology architecture. And so, hey, Eric, we need you to make a decision on the biggest technology architecture project this 85-year-old company's ever done. Yeah, so I had, like, lots of those moments. But I had people I could call and say, here's the kinds of things that I'm asking, and here's the way I went about trying to make this decision. Mm -hmm. Is there anything you think I overlooked or anything you think I missed? And I had mentors and coaches and previous colleagues and uh, and a minute world of difference. Yeah. And I knew I could pick up the phone in a heartbeat. And even if they were busy, they'd say, like, I'll make, like, at 6 o'clock tonight, I'll call you back, and we'll have a great conversation about this. Cool. And I knew I always held, had that lifeline mm-hmm. to, you know, pro- close colleagues who had invested in me. Mm-hmm. Part of also the same reason that when I see new CEOs, and, and there's probably 10 in Regina that I've called on their first day and said, hey, been there? anything you need we can go have a coffee we can have a chat because it's a very lonely place that corner office that everybody talks about you can't just show up to your board and go i actually don't know what i'm doing (laughs) you can't phone your colleagues and go yeah "Yeah, i don't actually understand this yeah um it's a safe place to go talk to you know people who've been there that's a beautiful thing too to be able to have those deep relationships and and tap them when you are feeling overwhelmed um and since they authentically know you they'll be able to support you in an authentic way for sure yeah and it's we have this joke now with those people that i you know spoke to at the time it's like we're the recovering first time ceo club okay yeah yeah love that so let's back up real quickly to talk about landing this job as chief executive officer at um connexus in saskatchewan because you're not here at this point you're you're in alberta what was that process like? And were you surprised to land this at, at, at an age you were at? <laughs> yeah, it's what I funny. I, uh, I actually found my folder from like, I was having conversations with Connexus kind of October or sorry, August, September, October of 2011. Yeah. Started mid-October 2011. 
and I actually found my folder of interview materials. Okay. Done a bunch of research, but I found the presentation that I made. And I opened it, and I actually had a bit of a belly laugh. I'm like, I, I can't believe they hired me. <laughs> yeah. And it, and it, you know, when I uh, when I announced I was leaving Conexus, the first email I wrote was to the original board members, mm. and said, like, I can't believe the chance you took on me. Wow. And it's not lost on me ten years later how big of a risk that was that you took. Mm -hmm. And I am so very thankful to be standing here now ten years later with different opportunities in front of me because of a very courageous decision that you took in probably would have been about September of 2011 when you said, we're going to offer this guy the job. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's a bit ironic that everybody talks about you, ha you have to have somebody willing to open a door for you. Well, for me, I had, I had to have 11 people kind of look themselves in the eye in the middle of this technology project, and they're like, we got to figure this big, hairy furball out, and he's the guy that's going to do it at age 42. Mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's like 10 years later. I'm still like a bit in awe that they, you know, that they gave me a chance. Now, I, I, don't, I don't know who else they interviewed, yeah. but, uh, but I'm very appreciative of those, uh, those 11 people for the confidence they put in a very young guy who hadn't done nine of the 11 things that he's going to have to be good at. Did you, when you applied, did you feel like it was a long shot or you were an underdog for the position? Well, no disrespect to recruiters, mm -hmm. but, you know, when the recruiter calls, you know, again, I was leading a team at service that was twice the size of the team at Connexus. So yeah. I think probably they looked and went, okay, well, he's like a number two at a business that's two or three times the size. He's, he's probably reasonably well equipped to do this. Yeah. But I remember at the time thinking, I get the call and they're like, we really want you to consider this opportunity at uh, Connexus in Regina. And I remember hanging up the phone, getting the information and going, that seems like a pretty big leap. Right. I, I knew that I wanted to be a CEO and I, you know, my current employer had talked about being on succession lists and getting me ready for an opportunity if one would ever come there and all those kinds of things. So it wasn't like a, something completely different than I'd imagined. No. I just didn't think I was ready. But again, one of my mentors said to me, you don't control the timing on these things. Mm -hmm. They get, what happens is you don't develop yourself for five years and you finish that development work on a Friday and then you get a call from a recruiter on the Monday saying, oh my gosh, you're ready, Mason. Yeah, Fantastic. Totally. The opportunity's ready too. <laughs> yeah, those two, two things. There's no never... automated message that comes into their inbox. Be like, Eric completed his training. That's right. Yeah, yeah. those two things never line up. Yeah. And so I think you just have to, again, be honest with yourself mm -hmm. about, well, these things I'm probably ready at these other things I'm not ready at. Mm -hmm. And so here's the work I'm going to do early in my kind of next journey to make sure that I've closed those gaps. Totally. And I think what we can learn from your story too is feel free to take those stretch opportunities, but don't go in there with your guard up saying like, well, I must have this for a reason or let, get your, let your ego get in the way. The, you know, the advice I always give to people when I talk to them today, and at Connexus we talk about lead self, when you're good at that, then then you'll get the privilege of leading others. Yep. And if you're good at that, you'll get the privilege of leading enterprises. Cool. I think lots of people today, though, they overlook step one. Mm -hmm. And it's fine to be really open and honest about, here's what I'm good at. And, it, and, it, and I don't think it's ego or anything to say, I've had success with these kinds of things. Right. It's equally important to say, here's the things that I don't know much about. doesn't mean you're terrible at them. You just haven't experienced them yet in your career. Yeah. And I think to say both matters because people know they're where they can count on you, where they might need help on something you're good at. And equally, as the example earlier, they'll invest in you when they know this isn't an area that you have lots of depth or, you know, experience. For sure. Do you remember the phone call that, that you've landed the job? I do. Yeah. What yeah. was it like? 
it's crazy. I mean, you get a call and it's like the recruiter calls first and says, well, you're, you're the candidate they want to hire. And you know, you're going to get a letter today. I think it was this afternoon okay. with an offer. But I yeah. remember thinking, oh my God, now what? So what's going through your mind as well from a, this is a big leap, like, and I'm moving to Saskatchewan. Like, are you, are you saying, yeah, I'll sign right away or did it take some time for you to, to make that decision? No, I'd done like a pile of research, okay. you know, cause there's three interviews generally in one of these things. Yep. You meet with a recruiter, then a selection committee, then the full board. So I, I had done a awful lot of investigation. And again, I say it today when I'm talking to emerging leaders is, you know, when you go through recruitment, the organization spending piles of time and energy and money we did this with you when we hired you. Yep. Is this the right fit for Mason? Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're, we're trying to figure that out. Yep. What frustrates me as a leader today, and, and I'll ask this question, like this is maybe a, one of my inside secrets on recruiting, but I'll go to hire very senior leaders to say, and I'll say, Mason, what, what have you done research-wise to make sure that this is a great fit for you? Because we're doing a bunch of work. Yeah. And, and you'd be shocked at how many people said, I read the website <laughs> yeah. or I read the annual report or I followed you on Twitter mm -hmm. and, and I'll like, literally I'll finish the interview. Yeah. Thanks for your time. Totally. Because what that or tells me. Or your lack me, there of time. Yeah. Cause, yeah. They, Cause they're just not that mindful of what's the right opportunity for them to mm -hmm. make them successful. What's the right environment where they can succeed and be passionate and do great work. So do they know that? And B, have they done the work to establish that this is the place? Totally. And if you really want something, you will put yourself in any position in order to be successful at it, right? So if it is looking at their website and thinking that, okay, I'm done, I'll, I'll wait and see what's next in the process, it's kind of telling you that how badly do they actually want this. And you're a marketer, Mace. The annual reports don't always reflect what organizations look like on exactly. the inside. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So and so... Uh, but I have now people that I've hired at Conexus, mm -hmm. uh, like Mary Weimer would be a great example. She met with every single one of the leadership team as totally. part of her early research. And then when I asked her, she's like, I've done a lot of work. I've talked to customers. I've talked to people that work for you directly. You know, I, I know this is a place where I can succeed. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, yeah. wiser clap. <laughs> yeah. Bravo. Because, right. because companies spend so much time on this and it's such a waste of time if you get here and it's not the right place for you. Yeah. It's not good for the organization. It's not good for you. Totally. Yeah. So, I mean, you should be spending as much time, energy and money yeah. figuring out whether this is the right place for you too. Yeah. Finding alignment prior to getting that offer letter is, is important. So I'd done all that work. So when the offer finally came, I, I, I knew I could make a difference here and I felt like it was the right step for me in terms of, and I had all the fear and anxiety. Yeah. You know, the growth we talk about, yeah, Mason. Butterflies, yeah. yeah the <laughs> feeling in your stomach. I had tons of growth in yeah. my stomach. Yeah. But but I just felt like, yeah, it was the right right time, yeah. right step, and I was as ready as I needed to be. Awesome. So what approach do you take? We talked a little bit about your vulnerability when it comes to um, letting people on your team know that this is what I'm good at, this is what I'm not good at, Let's let's work on this together. What other things did you do to acclimate to um, not just being a new leader, but a new city as well? Yeah, it's like identical. Mm -hmm. It's meeting people, being really open and honest about what you know, what you don't know. And, you know, the thing that I've enjoyed most about leading an organization in Saskatchewan is it's really easy to get stuff done in Saskatchewan. Yeah. You know, we joke about 
you know, the one degree of separation that mm-hmm. exists in Saskatchewan. If you're a business leader in Saskatchewan, it's an unbelievable competitive advantage. Totally. If you want to build a new incubator and you want partnerships with the university, you go have a lunch or coffee with the president of the university. Right. You want to build a venture fund, you want the government to invest, you go have coffee with people in government and say, here's why I think we could work together and do cool things. Yeah. And it's not like you have to get through eight layers of other people to get to those that, you you know, you you could work with and, or, and make stuff happen with. Or even t- jumping on a sky train. It takes like two hours to go meet with somebody. Like you can, you can, that's two hours that you could be having a conversation with somebody and building a deeper relationship with. Yeah. It's, and it's a, so I just always thought of that as a bit of a competitive advantage to doing business in Saskatchewan. And mm-hmm. I leveraged every bit of it where if there's somebody I didn't know that I thought, you know, there's an opportunity for Conexus and EGADS mm-hmm. to build a social impact bond. Well then let's go talk to EGADS. Mm-hmm. Like I'm going to be up at the branch in Saskatoon next week. And why don't we go see Don? Yeah. So what's your secret to um, having a conversation with somebody you've never met before? Because I think a lot of people, what gets in the way is the like, whether it's social anxiety or just feeling like, ah, what if the judgment, fear of judgment or something like that, or this person's not going to want to talk to me. You do such a great job of being able to talk to so many different types of people, regardless of their status in an organization or in the community. What's your secret sauce to be able to build relationships with people in that aspect? Yeah, but I never, I never imagined myself as Eric, the CEO. Yeah, I'm just Eric, the guy that works at Connexus that might you know, have an idea about something or heard an idea that you have that, hey, I, I might have one of the pieces of the puzzle that you're trying to put together that I might have stumbled across 10 years ago in my career that might be really important for you. And if not, that's okay too. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was always about, and even if you talk to employees today, they're always, I call the new employees. Now I have teams meetings with new employees. No. And I always, I'm amazed by, they're always freaked out. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, relax. Mm-hmm. Like we both work at the same company. Yeah. Yeah, like we have different jobs for sure. I do these things, you do those things, both matter, Mm -hmm. right? Because the company can't succeed without either one of us. Right. Yeah, so let's just acknowledge our jobs are different. Now, can we get that crap out of the way? And now let's just talk about how can we be better for members or better for each other as teammates? Like, what do you need from me in terms of information from the CEO to help you succeed? Yeah. And then I'll say, here's what I might need from you as a financial advisor about changing the way we approach members. Mm -hmm. Can we just agree that we need each other? Yeah. So now let's get past the crap and on to like, okay, how, yeah. how can we work together and help each other succeed? Yeah, like eliminating the assumptions or the, the I don't know what you want to call it, like the um, hierarchy that people feel like, am I allowed to talk to the CEO and be my authentic self with him? Do I have to impress him? I remember, actually, I started at Conexus as a summer student, and um, I had just gotten out of a meeting with my manager, and he was telling me about, like, what my role will look like, and um, we just got this new CEO, and he's thinking of things very differently. Like, I remember we had these Legos that were, like, from the build campaign. He's like, yeah, we just ordered these. These are going because the CEO doesn't want them or something like that, but he thinks of things in a really great way. Like, I can't wait for you to meet him. And I'm like, oh, yeah, like I'll ever meet the CEO. And like 10 minutes later, I swung around in my cubicle and there was this bald man standing here. Be like, hi, I'm Eric. Nice to meet you. I'm like, oh, he's there and he's here already. And you approach things in such a um, a friendly manner where you're like, am I actually talking to the CEO right now? It's something that I don't take for granted with you because I think more often than not, there is that little bit of awkwardness when it comes to talking to someone at a 
in a higher status in an organization that you do such a great job of breaking down. So what is like that secret sauce I'm trying to tap into where you eliminate that and make somebody feel so comfortable? Because I think a lot of people will notice that that is like your gift in leadership. So two things. It's it's really easy when you used to be a financial advisor to go and talk to financial advisors. Yeah. Like, and I would say to them, listen, I, I was one. And P.S. If I can be the CEO from a financial advisor, so yeah, so too can you. Yeah. Like, and, I, and I, that's not being ridiculous. Yeah. I started here. Mm-hmm. And, and then this, the second thing that I think that maybe people lose a bit sight of is, you know, it's, it's not that big a place. Mm-hmm. We have like 880 employees-ish. And, um, you know, I think people think, well, they don't, people don't know each other's names. Yeah, they do. It's not that big a place. Like, mm-hmm. I, I, if you list a branch, I could tell you who the leaders are in the branch, you know, and who's been there for, for lots of years. And I might even be able to tell you the names of some of their kids. Yeah. It's not like there's no magic to it. It's like you've met people, you've invested with people, you've chatted with people. And I remember when I first got to Conexus, I remember saying to the other senior leaders, I'm going to go to branches. And I remember they had this like funny look on their face. They're like, what are you doing out there? <laughs> There's that voice again. What are you going to ask? <laughs> and I'm like, I'm going to ask what works. Like it's all those questions I said earlier. This is the kind of stuff I'm interested in. Like right. how am I going to learn about the company? Because I accept the fact that if I just hear it from you, it's not that you're going to intentionally mislead me, yeah. but at the same time, I'm pretty sure it's not all the truth because mm-hmm. yeah, of what you've heard. Yeah. And there was this like fear and anxiety. So then I said, well, can we just like work on that? Because what I'll do then is I'll go to the branch and then I'll come back and say, Here's what I heard. Mm-hmm. And and they said, but what if the employee hears you say something different than I said? And I said, well, great. Then they probably appreciate that this is a very complex problem <laughs> yeah. that has lots of perspectives about it, and we yeah. should gather all of them. Yeah. And you and I disagreeing on something doesn't mean that one of us is leaving tomorrow. Yeah. But then I started to say something else, which was, listen, if, if, if we're going to work on the same team, and let's assume it's you and me, Mason. If Mason and Eric are always in the same team and they always have the same opinion, yeah. one of us is actually unnecessary. Wow. Be- otherwise, like if we're just going to agree all the time on stuff, we, totally. don't, we don't need two of us. Yeah, exactly. It, the most complex problems, you should seek to get a lot of opinions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the way you do that is you actually talk to members and talk to frontline employees. So yep. I said, I'll share all the information. Like I'll actually open my notebook and say, here's what like Susie said out in, you know, the analytics department mm-hmm. or Steve from the branch or mm-hmm. yeah. And let's just talk about, well, here's what they said. Yeah. Cause that's the most important thing. It's not that you and I disagreed on something mm-hmm. Can we just get past that. Totally. Yeah. If I'm were to summarize this, like what is the the trick for you? Just cut the bullshit. Like, let's just get it. Like let's get down to it and, and solve an issue together regardless of what our titles are or backgrounds or anything like that. Um, so let's start talking about some changes and, and some, um, overcoming obstacles to progressively change the game here at Connexus. So let's start with banking and financial services. Tell me a story about where you had to overcome a hurdle in order to change the game and what that outcome looked like. So banking is a 300-year-old business. Mm-hmm. And the irony is there's very few new banks. So A, it's really old. Mm-hmm. B, there's a lot of, lot of new ones. At the time, mm-hmm. this is going back 10 years before right. fintechs were exploding. Yep. Okay, so banking, I would argue, is a pretty traditional staid industry. And I would say that, peop- you know, the employees at Conexus um, probably had this idea in their mind that it was about 
transactions. Yeah. Providing a mortgage, selling a mutual fund, offering a credit card, opening a checking account. For the young kids, that's a current account. Yeah. Um, but it actually, banking is this, how do you enable the life people want to lead, recognizing that money is a big part of that? That's problem statement number one. Problem statement number two is, and OPS, people have this very flawed emotional relationship with money right. because of their upbringing. And for lots of reasons. You know, maybe they went to university or had a credit card, you know, kind of crammed down their throat by somebody in our industry and didn't understand how it worked. And it led to bad outcomes. They, they would have this kind of, you know, emotional connection with that experience. Yeah. Or they saw a friend, you know, maybe going to Mexico when they're in university and wondering, like, how do they afford to do that? Yeah. And it frames like this kind of very deep emotional connection with money. And so the big, the big problem statement was convincing the organization it's not actually about the transactions. Mm-hmm. Our job is to break down these emotional barriers and just getting real about, okay, what are the, th- what are the things you aspire to do in your life? Mm-hmm. Hopes, goals, and dreams, one of our uh, colleagues says all the time. Now, let's talk about how money can help you get there. And it, and it might not be easy, but there's no sense like sugarcoating it. Yep. Those are the things you want. Let's talk about how to get there yep. and how money can enable those things. So it was about getting out of this, you know, banking is a place you go to do transactions to banking is this thing that can enable hopes, goals, and dreams. Mm-hmm. That was the big kind of... Can we get people's mind around that? Mm-hmm. And and I was so impressed at how people were like, no, that's 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 what we seek to do. And further, as a credit union, uh, it's really connected to why I want to be here. Mm-hmm. And and I was amazed at how well it resonated with the organization. Yeah, it's you basically just in a nutshell talked about the podcast and what we're doing, trying to accomplish here, which shows that this, this vision is working its way through and has worked its way through in, in a beautiful way where we're not just talking about like what a mortgage is and all that sort of stuff, but money is truly the gatekeeper to so many of our hopes, dreams, and fears. Let's talk about it and break down that intimidation factor so that we can authentically attack what your hopes, dreams, and fears are. And recognizing that there's life things like infertility. I remember that story. Or a life thing like Jess and running a small business. Mm -hmm. Like these things don't exist in some test tube outside of your life. These are real things that happen to real people that, okay, how do you pay for infertility? Totally. How do you finance a small business? If you want to do that, here's how you do it. So when you are trying to kind of shift this culture or this frame of thinking, did you run into any issues with, with anybody on your leadership team or anything like that that you had to overcome? Yes. And tell me what? Well, because it just, it was new. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't think, organ, you know, I'm going to tell you another little sh- short story here. Leaders and organizations, uh, if they're going to bring change, they are accountable to help people through the change. Yeah. And they're accountable for capability. Okay, If we're asking you to do different things, the organization should be very accountable to help you build the skills yeah. to do those different things well. And people should hold hold organizations accountable to giving them those skills. Yep. But what what happens though is not everybody's willing, and the employee owes, owns willingness. And organizations should hold employees accountable to be willing to try to build new skills. Right. The problem is leaders get confused between the two. Mm-hmm. So maybe somebody's struggling through the change or whatever, and they're like, "Oh my God, well, you know, we need to keep reinvesting." Well, the problem is actually that 
Mason or Eric is not willing to do the hard things to actually change how they engage with members. Yeah. Or maybe instead of working Monday to Friday, they need to work on Saturday when people actually want to talk about money. Yeah. Um, and, and we shouldn't get confused about the two. So there were some people at Connexus, I would say, that they didn't have the willingness to make the changes necessary to think differently about how to deliver that. And yeah. that's okay. Mm -hmm. But it meant that they needed to leave. Totally. Yeah. And, and it, you talk about how right off the, the top of this, like your biggest fear is not being able to evolve with the organization as it goes. That kind of falls into that sort of thing where like people's frame of thinking, it's totally okay if it doesn't align at that moment. But then if it's not in alignment, then you're probably better off somewhere else. Otherwise, there's just going to be constant conflict. And the, the irony is there's people that left the organization that I still talk to a couple of times a year. Yeah. Because it worked out much better for them. For sure. They're off doing something else, adding tons of value, something they're super passionate about. Yep. And we're still friends. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, let's take a quick pause and build some context into what Eric is talking about. Eric is talking about breaking down that transactional approach and implementing a new vision for how we can authentically support members and their financial well-beings. It's one of the big things that differentiates Connexus from other financial institutions. So to give us a glimpse into what this looks like for financial advisors when they're working with members, I reached out to Annecy George, who is a financial advisor in our West Landing branch, and asked her to build on this. This is what she had to say. Thanks, Mason. I would love to share that with you. At Connexus, we are focused on improving the financial well-being of our members. We measure each member's financial wellness based on nine financial health indicators. These represent some of the main areas that people have said they feel financial stress. As a financial advisor here at Connexus, my success is measured by my members' financial well-being. By not having product sales targets, I'm able to focus on the unique circumstances of each member and work with them on a plan that is personalized to them. Authenticity is a key value for me. Being able to tell my members that I do not have sales targets helps to remove the stigma around making a sale. It builds trust with a member because they know I will provide advice that is in their best interest every time. Financial wellness is not just about products, but also focuses on the emotional part of finances, how a member feels about their money. Understanding where the member struggles or feels the most stress allows me to recommend strategies to help them see long-term success. My goal is that each of my members feel empowered and less stressed after meeting with me. That's how Connexus truly cares about our members and differentiates ourselves from other financial institutions. Hey, thanks, Annecy. She's right. Connexus employees do not have a product quota, so you'll never be recommended something that doesn't truly fit your financial well-being. This is just one of the many game-changing impacts Eric has helped lead. So let's throw it back to the interview and hear some more. So I want to hear one more story. We kind of talked about people and culture as well here, but um, I want to talk about community leadership because I think you do such a great job of not just being known and building deep relationships, not just inside Connexus's walls, but in the province and in volunteering and, and just being a part of and rooted in the community. So tell me a story about community leadership and why um, it's so important to you. If, if you go back to the idea that money is a big part of how societies, families, communities work. It enables things in communities. Um, but Connexus doesn't own community. Mm -hmm. and, and, but we have a piece of this puzzle I've talked about. The best example I could give you would be the social impact bond with EGADS. Yeah. And so you've got a community organization trying to reunite kids in foster care with, with moms mm -hmm. and families. Okay, well, that actually has, people would argue that has nothing to do with finance. Yeah. And I would say, well, 
sure, but but if the families aren't financially grounded, pretty hard for the family to succeed. And if the family doesn't succeed, I'm not sure we're going to get the great outcomes. Totally. So if we could think about ourselves a bit differently to say, okay, well, we've got HR people and could we help these young mums build resumes and build skills so they could gain employment. And mm-hmm. then when they had employment, if they could think about finance differently and how it enables the life they want to create for their young family, maybe we'd have success um, helping change maybe the trajectory of some of those lives. Yeah. And it would have been really easy to say, well, that has nothing to do with banking. And I would argue, well, it has everything to do with banking. That's a big part of this puzzle for those families. Mm-hmm. So it's like, well, wh- what could we do? Well, I don't know. Let's go talk to Don. Mm-hmm. Well, what could we do? Well, we started to send financial advisors to talk to the moms and send HR people to do interviews and help them with resumes. We phoned some of our small business members and said, hey, you've had, you know, maybe trouble recruiting. But we know of this young mom who actually really needs a job and she really needs a job at these hours of the day or in this industry where she has some skills. Could we like connect the two of you? Yeah. And I think we saw ourselves as a bit of a catalyst or an enabler rather than just providing transactions. Mm -hmm. And then fast forward five years, Governor General of Canada Innovation Award for how social finance reunited and really put a whole bunch of families on a different foundation. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, it would have been really easy to go, that has nothing to do with Connexus back in 2014. Yeah. And yet it had everything to do with who are the people in the community, the Ma family, Northridge Developments and the government and Connexus. And I answered some calls from people in the community saying, you have no business yeah. mucking around with kids in foster care. And mm-hmm. I go, well, okay, you're, you're probably right. But we have everything to do with, isn't it our kind of social responsibility to do everything in our power to help them to succeed? Yeah. Because that's what we're doing. Yeah. It's it's identifying that that moment where you even said it yourself like does this have anything to do with us like and a lot of organizations and leaders would just like kind of slough that off like no i have to i have to really niche my focus down over here but to be able to look outside and realize that like well if these people's basic human needs aren't being met how are they going to be financially literate how are they going to be able to contribute to the economy how are they going to be able to to feel safe and a part of their communities like realizing that there are connections there and you can prioritize ways that you can um, help them in innovative ways. I think that is something that Connexus does in a lot of really great ways. But I think it comes down to having a leader that prioritizes those conversations as well. Primary job of leaders is to build more leaders. Right. Okay, well, that doesn't happen only with the 880 people here. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I took very seriously my responsibility to like mentor, coach, and engage not just in these four walls, but in Saskatchewan. Yeah. And, and I think it also opened doors for Connexus. You know, some of those relationships came out of, well, I know somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody or a kid that I mentored knew somebody that was going on in the community and said, hey, you know, this conversation is interesting and I think you guys could add value. You said something though, Mason, of course, we started to do more of this mm-hmm. and then the phone started to ring more often. Yeah. And, and you have to be really careful. You can't solve everything. Right. And I think even as a leader, you have to say, well, here's the places I'm going to like commit and engage and it can't be everything because yeah. if you're going to commit to everything, you're going to do nothing well. Mm-hmm. You have to say, look, here's the three or four spots where I think I can make a difference and be really focused about how you show up, how you make those things happen and how you do those things. Mm-hmm. Because all those decisions come at the expense of time in your business, time with your own family, mm-hmm. time on personal wellness, time on meditation, mm-hmm. time on being your best, you know, who's 
tomorrow, can I be the leader that Eric wants to be? Well, I can if I'm tired mm-hmm. and grumpy and I haven't seen my kids in four days and I haven't worked out. And mm-hmm. Like all of these things have to fit into the same jar. Totally. And just because you're saying no doesn't mean that you can't connect them with somebody who would be right up their alley. And if you're building these deep relationships with people in the community, you now have a Rolodex. I don't know if that's a term people use in 2022 anymore. Um, but iCloud contacts. iCloud contacts of, of who would best fit um, and align that to. Um, something that you just touched on is about like the mental health side of being a CEO and a, and a leader. Um, someone who's very connected in the community and getting a ton of different requests. How were you able to balance all of this in a very connected province? Yeah, it's, it, well, first of all, you yeah, acknowledge as a leader, it's it's really, really hard mm-hmm. um, to find balance. But it comes from lead self. Mm-hmm. So if I'm leading self well, I know the things that really, really matter to me. Mm-hmm. Okay, And if I can communicate that to the people in my closest circle, and you would know like the Candaces and my team and my wife and my kids then you're going to get feedback all the time about how well you're doing those things. Yeah. And so a, a very, again, quick example is I know what those things are for my team, yeah. my old team at Connexus. And if I saw them not doing those things, they know that they're probably going to get a gentle nudge from me one day saying, hey, I've noticed that you haven't worked out this week. Yeah. Boy, you must be really busy. Something I can help with. Yeah. Wink, wink. Go work out, Eric. Yeah. Well, which is yeah. really me saying, I know this is part of your recipe for success. My job as the leader is to make sure I'm coaching you for those things in real time. Yeah. And then when I see those things happen and the change it creates for them in terms of wellness and joy and happiness and their ability to focus and mm-hmm. and and show up for the things that matter most to them. Um, because these, these are marathons, not sprints. And I've seen lots of leaders burn out because they get the new job. And they forget about all the things that they need to do to be successful. And next thing you know, you wake up one day and you've forgotten them permanently. Mm -hmm. And then you're in deep trouble. Totally. Versus, I know what these things are for me. Mm -hmm. The more people you can tell around yourself, the better off you're going to be. Because then they're going to give you feedback if they really care about you. Mm -hmm. Totally. We are, like, in terms of time, um, we have a lot that I want to get through. But I also want to ask this question because you've, you've brought up a couple of different examples of upward coaching regarding what you just said with allowing your leader to like be honest with your leader when you feel like they're not being accountable to themselves, but also when you started and just a, a really beautiful example of here is something that I would, here are the questions I would ask as a new CEO. Give me a couple examples of um, some best practices of upper coaching um, that someone could utilize in order to build a deeper relationship with their leader. Yeah, first you have to have permission. Mm-hmm. You don't just show up and start giving feedback. Yeah. That's dangerous. You have to have a conversation about what, you know, do we know enough about each other to know what those things are? Yeah. And are we okay with that? And and not everybody is. Mm-hmm. And that's okay because if they're not, you know, giving feedback to somebody who's not interested in feedback isn't that helpful. Totally. It actually sets trust back. Mm-hmm. But if they know it's for the right reasons that it and that coaching is different than assessing performance. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I gave you the example of, hey, I noticed you haven't worked out this week. That didn't show up in a performance review. Mm -hmm. That was me as the colleague saying, I know this really matters to you. Mm -hmm. So there's obviously something going on in your life that's getting in your way. Can I help you with those things? Mm -hmm. And like not and not go get to the gym. It might be a really busy week. Yeah. But if that's the case, maybe there's something I can take off your plate. Yeah. Can I do that meeting or hey, you're going to that community event tomorrow night? I got it. Yeah. I'll go and represent us there. No problem. Mm Yeah, so it's not about like, hey, you need to do more of this, because if that's the case, it would be more of everything. Yeah. 
It's maybe, you know what, or that thing that you've promised me to, to have like on my desk next week. It's not that important. Totally. Like a month from now is fine. Yeah. But it's just, do you know, do you talk about what those things are for each other as colleagues? Like we did a Brené Brown exercise mm -hmm. where we listed for each other what were our most important core values. Yeah. And then we kept them in a OneNote. So if I saw, you know, Jacques having a bad day, I could go and I wonder if it's this or something pushing on those core values for him. Gotcha. Yeah, that we could just start talking about. Yeah. But it, but it happens over time. Yeah. And it's really investing in those deep relationships and then that your authentic trust is built and feedback and is a little bit easier to give in that instance. And contrast that to when I started as a leader, when I tried to make five little like mini me's, well, I was a high contributor. Therefore, if they just do stuff like I did stuff, they'll be high contributors. Well, totally. they have different values, different purpose, different like life circumstance, maybe a different gender. Yeah. And if I don't appreciate any of those things, yeah, yeah good, good luck leading them. So you can see from where I started to where I am today, which is I have a collection now. My old team at Connexus was eight individuals, all very different. Some boys, mm. some girls, some old, some young, and they're all different. Yeah. And you have to take the time to go, what's unique and special about them? Where do they add value? How can I best support them? What are their rewards? Some mm. want to be paid more. Some want an extra week off. Some want to go to a conference and learn. Yeah. If you don't know what those things are, good luck leading them. Totally. That's great. So beginning 2022, Connexus is doing very well and has evolved into this multifaceted catalyst for the economy and for the province. When did you first start feeling like now might be the right time to say goodbye? Well, I'm not 42 anymore. And, and I started to think about, you know, I've, so I've probably got seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years left in my career. And, I, and it was a bit of a, a fork in the road around so what's the next mission at Connexus? And we were building a brand new enterprise strategy. So it causes one to reflect on the previous 10 years as much as the opportunity in the next 10 years. And then, of course, my career. And I'm like, well, I've got, we're at this fork in the road at Connexus, and I'm at a bit of a fork in the road professionally about how do I want to spend the next 7, 8, 9, 10 years of my career before I retire. And I think both of those things lined up. And then I started to just ask myself some questions about what, what is it that I want to do? And, and of course, family comes into that. You know, I've got aging uh, parents that I knew at some point I was going to want to be closer to. And you just kind of add all that up and try to say, okay, well, what's the, what's the place where I, can, uh, where I can do this? And then, of course, got a call, much like in 2011. And I started to just think about, well, what a super cool opportunity. I'm very proud of the work at Connexus, but as a CEO, you never, you're never done. Mm -hmm. And you have to just come to terms with it's never finished. Mm -hmm. There's always a next. And it was like, I'm very proud of what we've accomplished here in 10 years. Uh, also very humble about I had one 900 uh, to do with that. Mm -hmm. 899 other people had a lot to do with that as well. Yeah. And we should all be very proud of where the organization's positioned today, but it just became almost a natural fork in the road. Mm -hmm. And the more I thought about it, the more I thought, you know, um, I think it's time to try something else. Totally. So in your email to the organization, you said, when you know it's time to leave, then leaving is what you need to do. And it's such a simple phrase that says so much. So you're talking about this natural fork in the road. Was this something that you were kind of thinking about for like months or years that like this is a natural timeline where I think will will come or was this something that kind of came like spur of the moment that you started to think a lot about 
in more and take more seriously. Yeah, probably quicker than you think. Mm-hmm. And it's just when you start to think about it, it's like, yeah, I think I think this is the right time. And and the email says it all. When when you come to that conclusion, I, I am too grateful for the people that work here, the board, previous board members. If if I'm not all in, I need to tell them. And and the sooner I know I'm not all in on the next seven, eight, nine years that I'm thinking about trying something else. Then, then I needed to tell them. Mm-hmm. And I know it looked odd because I told the organization I was leaving before I told the organization what I was doing. Mm-hmm. And part of that was I didn't I didn't have it all figured out. Yeah. But I but I knew that I wanted to try something else. Yeah. And it felt like the right time. And so literally I started telling people right after I came to that that I knew that that was the answer. Mm-hmm. I told my team first. Then I told the board chair later that day. And then it became real really quick. And then it was like, well, okay, I need to get this rest of my life kind of sorted out and what I want to do. And I knew there was opportunities in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it just it came out exactly the way it looked. Yeah. So take me to the week where you started telling people you were starting a new chapter. What was that week like for you? It was way harder than I, th- than I thought. Mm-hmm. And um, so I told my team and I was a bit of a puddle. It was a very emotional meeting. We had a a two hour meeting lined up and they had no idea Mm. that I was going to tell them at the beginning of this meeting. And then at the end of me telling them, I, like I signed off because I I was very emotional. It was very tough. I've gone to war with these people for a decade, some of them, and it was really, really difficult. So I signed off and then I started just to kind of got myself kind of cleaned up and tidied up. And of course we have a very open office environment and I'm looking around. I'm like, I wonder who saw me having a meltdown. Oh, you did that in Connexus's walls? Oh, like yeah. In the boardroom was, over here? No, I was just sitting in one of the small meeting rooms over here. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and I had Kleenex and the whole nine yards, and I'm sure they thought somebody died in his family. Right. But, you know, it is what it is. You have an opus and office environment. That's the way it works. Yeah. So, um, yeah, told them, so signed off, and then I just started to collect myself. Mm-hmm. Well, about 45 minutes later, they're still online. Mm-hmm. I see the chat function going back and forth, and then they, like, pinged me, and they said, uh, we're all still here. Mm-hmm. So I signed back on. I'm like, what are you guys doing here? Like, I know we're not meeting. And I know I dropped a bit of a bomb in your lap today. And I know it's probably raised a whole bunch of questions because I couldn't answer what I was going to do and why and all that stuff. Yep. Um, but it was just this really kind of human moment that then we were just reminiscing about the 10 years for the next uh, little while. And it was, it was I, I really appreciated it. It was really cool. Mm-hmm. Um but it, yeah, it was way harder than I thought. And then the, the leadership lesson, all this, I started getting emails from people across the organization. Mm-hmm. I had one in particular stood out for me, but it was symptomatic of a whole bunch more. It was like, hey, Eric, here's the email. They took a picture of an email that I wrote them in like 2013 mm-hmm. for a contributor after a branch visit. Thanks for the meeting. You know, here's what I really learned from you. Thank you so much for all this information. He had it taped to his workstation. Oh. An email from eight years ago. And it was like the little things are the big things. And I, and I probably had 200 emails reminding me as a leader that the little things are the big things. Totally. Oh yeah. I remember the the email came to, there's some Kleenex there if you need as well. Um, I remember like the email came and it was at the end of the tough week too. Like the, the subject was what a ride. And it was the happy face from in the subject line. I was like, oh, no, there he goes. And I opened it and I just like 
flooded with emotion as well. Like I think everything that you don't realize that you're taking for granted in terms of being able to play a ping pong game with your CEO to be in a fantasy football league with them to like just observing when you come out of a meeting room in this open concept, you're not looking like, where's my next meeting? You're not looking over the heads of people. You're saying hi to everybody by their name. That's special. And you start to, it starts to hit you. You're like, this is, I am so grateful to be a part of an organization where this has trickled down because you see it in everybody else's interactions as well. Is it possible, Mason, that it trickled up? Sure. Tell me why. Same people. As the CEO, you're walking through the office. Mm -hmm. You probably are surprised, but I, I bet there's lots of CEOs walk through the office that don't get, hey, Eric, like, how's Taryn making out of university? Totally. Yeah. Like that, that relationship is absolutely a two-way street. Yeah. And it was fostered over 10 years of 900 people living that way. Yeah. It's not an output of the CEO. Mm-hmm. It is a choice, a conscious choice for 900 people who come here for eight or nine hours a day yeah. to behave like that. Mm-hmm. That's what made it different. Totally. I totally think it's absolutely possible that it trickles up, trickles down, trickles outwards, inwards. Um, but I also think that it is special about how you approach relationships across the organization, whether it is um, a financial service representative who is just starting their first class in university or the respect you have with your CFO. It feels like it's the same brand of, of respect and authentic respect. And I think um, that's special. We'll just agree to disagree. Okay. I think it should be the norm. Sure. I agree. We're just 900 people, all with different jobs, all invested in the same outcome. And what we all need from each other is each other. Totally. Love that. So what was that like to send that email? Like writing that must have been emotional. What was it like to press send? Yeah, it was really hard. So, you know, I write it. And then, of course, the communications people want to see it. So I shared it with them in advance. And then the day it got sent, we're all sitting together. Mm-hmm. Because there was other communication that had to happen fairly quickly. Yeah. Regulators, other credit unions, partners, yeah. investors in our venture funds, those kinds of things. So and it was like they were watching me hit send and I hit send. And then, of course, it takes a while to get to a thousand people. Mm-hmm. And it hadn't popped up in everybody's box. And then everybody's like, oh my God, did it actually go? Did you do this right? Did you screw it up? <laughs> yeah. And then, of course, it started to pop up in people's boxes. And then I got the first response from, you know, out in the organization and then the second and then the third. And then, it, and then it became really real, really fast. Totally. And then, of course, you're thinking to yourself, I hope this is the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. What was it like when it started to spread outwards into the community and the community started to find out your, you must be, your phone must have just been going off. What was that like to receive that flood of support? Like, I, it must have been pretty emotional. Well, the applause settled down first about finally he's leaving and now we'll get a good leader. <laughs> and, then, and then, you know, yeah, you got notes from people and again about these relationships. And, you know, there is something about Saskatchewan and the people that live here. And, and um, it's, it's the thing I'm going to miss most is the real relationships with people from across the province. And of course, I've been at a couple things since then and had a few coffee meetings and that kind of stuff. And it's this, I'm going to miss it tremendously. And I think I under, underestimated how much. For sure. So tell me about what's next for Eric and what you're most excited for. Um, well, the new gig. I'm super excited. You know, it's, there's not that many organizations that look like it does. 
So it's a very new bank. Mm-hmm. Hasn't, like I talked earlier about 300 year old businesses. Yep. Um, it hasn't been around. It's been like 14 years, yep. 15 years. And it was funny. I was in their office in February meeting with them, kind of getting organized for when I start here in a few weeks. And I saw the actual bank charter, which is a really big document signed by the Minister of Finance in Canada. And uh, and I giggled because it was signed by Ralph Goodale yeah. from Regina. Cool. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, but it, no branches, very different business model. And I just think very entrepreneurial owners. Yeah. And there's not that many banks owned by a single uh, family in this case. Yeah. And, and they're, yeah, they're very creative, very innovative and have very big ideas about what they want the bank to become. And it's just, there's not that many opportunities that look like this in Canada. So when I started to learn more, I became very interested in the bank. And, and, and then as I learned more about the family and the owners and the people in the organization, I just became so impressed with what they're doing and what their ideas are. And it's, I recognize it's very different, but I'm, I've probably not been more excited ever in my life. That's awesome. So Looking back, how have these past 10 years helped you evolve as both a human and a leader, if you had to summarize it? Yeah, I, I've, I think I've become just a lot more um, introspective, this whole, not the chase, but to aspire to just be a better leader tomorrow than today. Mm-hmm. Like I, I've had a leadership coach for 17 or 18 years straight. That's how long it's taken to learn to do a few things well. Mm-hmm. Um, but he talks often about, well, Eric, if you're a three out of 10 at something, the goal is to not be a nine out of 10. The cool. goal is to be a 3.1 out of 10 tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And then maybe a week or a month down the road, I'll be a 3.2 and then a 3.3. And it's just to make progress. Mm-hmm. And, and it's so I've, I've become much more comfortable with the fact that there's lots to learn and the world's changing very fast and learning about things like crypto, for instance, and fintechs and banking as a service. Yeah. These are not things I've done in my career, but I'm approaching them with the same kind of open-minded curiosity that I was approaching about leadership 20, 25 years ago. Yeah. It's just, well, the place to start is Google. What is this? <laughs> yeah. And then learn more and learn more and read more and go and put your hands on some things uh, and try. Totally. Transact. Do do something. You know, what does digital ID mean? Okay, well, here's what's an RSA token. Like, how does this all work? Yeah. Yeah, try it. Open an account. Like I remember standing up in front of a Connexus leadership team meeting nine years ago with a Tangerine account yep. saying, I opened this in like 11 minutes. <laughs> and they're all like, well, that's not possible with today's regulations. And I'm like, no, I assure you. I, just I assure that. you it is. Yeah. yeah, I could do it again here while you watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, just try things, do things and experience them. Mm-hmm. And, you'll, and you'll be amazed at what you learn. What intimidates you? It feels like um, you're not afraid to get dirty, have conversations with people, anybody. Um, does anything intimidate you? Lots. Same things that intimidate you. First time, you know, you walk into a minister's office to talk about venture capital mm-hmm. and they got like four, you know, colleagues or ministerial assistants or analysts or the first time I went to see Rupin, the minister of finance for Saskatchewan. And he's like asking me hard questions about things that we're doing as an organization and why. And yeah, you're scared stiff. Yeah but he's just a dude and he wasn't always the minister of finance. He was maybe a financial advisor once in his life too. And it's okay. Right. And, and you don't have to know everything. Yeah. I got, got really comfortable in board meetings when you get asked a hard question from a board member and go, I, I don't actually know the answer to that right now. Mm-hmm. I'll go find out. Cause it's a great question, mm-hmm. but don't like, don't pretend for sure. Life's too short. Agreed. 
Last question for you before we jump into some sweeter on questions. So if you could go back in time and give a piece of advice to the version of who you were just when you found out that you were about to move to Saskatchewan, you were about to become the CEO of Connexus Credit Union, what would you tell them? Yeah, just to enjoy the ride. You know, the first 18 months was a pretty big blur. My family didn't move right away and I wasn't probably living my best advice about wellness. Mm -hmm. Like I worked extraordinary hours. I was out in branch during the day Mm -hmm. and then I was coming back to Regina at night and reading and emailing and doing a bunch of stuff. And I probably didn't set a very great example for my new team, which probably took a few years to then undo. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I think I would have like been more methodical about, okay, what's the goal this month? Okay, the goal this month is to learn about this technology project. Mm -hmm. Okay, so be really open. This is what I'm going to do this month, team. And at the end of the month, then we'll come up with a goal for like November and then December. And January, I'm going to go visit branches. In February, I'm going to go out in community and and just be more open. I was kind of doing it a bit by feel. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, I've taken all of that. I took some month off between leaving Connexus and starting my new job. Mm -hmm. And what I'm doing is I'm actually doing a bunch of work to set myself up to start differently than I started here 10 years ago. Cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, because again, you, how many chances do you get to start as a new president or CEO? Totally. Not yeah. that many. Yeah. So like I should use the first one to be better at it the second time. Yeah, people talk about a once in a lifetime opportunity. Well, this is a twice one, so you can I learn. Yeah. Lucky guy, right? Very cool. Um, okay, before we let you go, I have some speed round questions. I can't wait. Where we can banter in a different kind of way. Um, and you didn't send me these. No, I didn't send you these. These are these are off the cuff. And I think I took, took it easy on you on these ones. Okay, but, uh, I'm going to... Pre-answer them. You ready? Okay, go. Carolina Tar Heels, best basketball team ever. Duke sucks. Not an answer. Next question is, no, I didn't win the Fantasy Football League, but I am the best ping pong player at Connexus. <laughs> Next question. Okay, how am I doing? Uh, you're 0 for 3 at the moment, oh, but these okay. are some good fun facts about Shit. you. Okay. I knew you were going to pre- like preemptively think about these ones, so I went a little off the board for them. But okay, cool. we'll start with the first one. Nice try, though. Uh, what's one thing you won't miss about Saskatchewan? I won't miss being this far from the mountains. Okay. I love the mountains. Sure. And I'm going to move closer to the mountains. Okay. And I was there last week, and it's a it's my happy place. Oh, I love that. Favorite workout? Uh, I work out at a gym in town, and uh, I love like Tabata kind of stuff, where it's like you're moving all the time, but it's quick. Uh, probably because I can't keep my attention span for that long, maybe. Sure. But uh, yeah, so Tabata style, super quick, high energy cardio. Tabata. Yeah. What's that? It's like where you do like 20 on, 10 off, or 30 on, 10 oh, okay. off, but like eight times. Mm. And then you do another exercise eight times, 30 on, 10 off. So kind of like circuit training? Kind of like circuit training. Cool. Yep. What goes into upkeeping a tip-top bald head? Headblade.com. <laughs> what is that? It actually won an industrial design award. <laughs> it's like a razor that you slip on your finger with literally like a face razor blade. Okay. And you literally like... Comb through your head. And you like take the hair off and I do it once a week. <laughs> and I, I'm such a good customer now. Yeah. When I put my like semi-annual order in, yeah. I get little cards from the CEO because really? I've been buying stuff for them for like 20 years. Amazing. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, so he sends me like an extra sample or a new razor and he's like, hey, Eric... Good to hear from you. Here's some new toys. Yeah. How often do you have to shave? Once a week, probably. Once a week? Yeah. Well, or if I have a podcast, then, you know, you got to go polish her up. And, and yeah. then it you can actually choose between glossy or matte finish. You can. True story. And what's your preference? Oh, matte. Matte? Yeah, yeah sure. Yeah, yeah, you don't want that light hitting off your head or anything totally. like that. Yeah. Headblade.com. Check it out. Headblade.com. Um, next question. Best tip you have about money? 
be really honest with yourself about what are needs and what are wants, mm -hmm. because it's going to lock a whole bunch of like super low hanging fruit decisions for you. Cool. And, and it's okay to have a want and still pay for it. Awesome. There's lots of dumb things that I've spent money on that I really enjoy doing. Like when I go to sporting events, I buy the super expensive tickets, especially for a place that I might only get to once in my life, mm -hmm. like the masters. I spent a ridiculous amount of money to go to the masters, but to experience it once is something that I'll remember forever. I take my daughters on a trip when they turn 16. We bought the expensive plane tickets because the cool. experience with me and her, mm -hmm. she still talks about it five, four or five years later. I'm going to remember it for the rest of my life. Very cool. How was Augusta? It was like Disneyland for daddies. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Something you've learned from your daughters. Yeah, like I, I like to tease my daughters a lot. And maybe that's uh, fodder for dads. But <laughs> there is a line you can cross with teenage girls. Okay. And I've learned where the line is. Sure. Yeah, that it's, it's, it's one thing to poke fun and... But there's a point at which you go too far. Sure. And I've crossed that line a few times. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Second last question. What's one of your most listened to bands or artists that we'd be that we'd be surprised to find out who they are? First concert I ever went to was at Joe Alby Stadium, Spokane, Washington. Okay. It was Monsters of Rock Tour. What's so that? Metallica. Cool. Van Halen. Who is the third? And I'm not a heavy metal guy now, yeah. but seeing Van Halen was like super cool. 18 years old, crossed the border by ourselves. Didn't tell our parents, by the way. Okay. Yeah. So that whole, what was I like as a kid? That's <laughs> sure. a little a little example. What'd you do today? I actually went to another country. <laughs> yeah. To see Van Halen. To see Van Halen play. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah. Um, last question, Eric, what connects us? Yeah. Well, I, again, I, I'd love to come back to the idea of money money enabling the life people want to lead. Everybody has an experience with money that's framed from something that happened in their life, what their parents taught them, their friends, their family. And, and I think much like ourselves as leaders, if we could have a more open and real conversation and be more honest with ourselves and those around us, whether that's advisors or friends or family, about what money, what holds us back from a different relationship with money or what are the small things that we're maybe ashamed to admit like money shame is a real thing. Mm -hmm. uh, if we could do that, it would unlock a world of possibilities for us to live a different life with money and have a different relationship with money. I just don't think it's as taboo. And maybe that's because I've worked in the industry for so long. Mm -hmm. But the advice I have for listeners was just to like call a spade a spade. If you're ashamed about decisions about money, say so. Totally. If you're proud of the decisions you've made with money, say so. Mm -hmm. If you want to make different decisions with money, say so. Mm -hmm. And then go find people in your circle that can help you do that. Totally. Thanks, Eric. That is a, that has been a theme of this, this entire conversation. Um, and something I'm taking away is just like cut the BS, whether it's about money, whether it's about developing a relationship with your CEO, whether it is having a, building a relationship with anyone, you do such a great job of just authentically investing, not just in yourself, but other people and anybody who's worked with you or has met you, like it's just, you just serve up a lesson of the power of authenticity in not just leadership, but just investing wholeheartedly in a relationship and it's going to be something that we're really going to miss at Connexus. It's going to be something that I really miss as a friend. Um, but best of luck because you've just done such amazing work here and the sky is the limit for you, I think. Thanks, Mace. That, that, that's a, I'm touched. That's a very big compliment. Mm -hmm. You know, not, not as a CEO, but this is a human being. So yeah. yeah, appreciate that. You bet. Well, that's it for our chat with Eric and for this season of the What Connexus podcast. 
What a ride season five has been. I just want to thank Brandy, Alex, Mark, Jessica, Kendra, and Eric for leaning into vulnerability, sharing their stories, having these tough conversations, and empowering us to learn from their successes, their failures, their triumphs, their risks, their fears, everything in between. This podcast would truly not be possible without them stepping outside their comfort zones. And I'm so thankful everybody connects us is. And we're very thankful for you for listening, for sitting in the co-pilot seat with me. I'm truly hoping you're taking something from each and every one of these stories. I know I am. We'll be back in June for a new season. But until then, if you like the podcast and you want to support it, please do us a favor and hit that subscribe or follow button, leave a review of the podcast, and share the podcast with a friend or on social media. We'll see you in June. Let's connect then.